Lord, we're waiting in your presence. We're seeking you, not your hand, but your face. We desire to hear what you want us to know individually. And we pray that as your word goes forth, it will not return void, but will accomplish what you desire in each one of us here. For each of us can hear a different message by the power of your spirit. And we're praying that no matter what comes out of my mouth, that we will only hear Jesus, only hear by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll do something with it. We ask you, Lord, to empty us now. Empty us completely of ourselves, our thoughts, our desires, our worries. Cleanse us. Get out all that stuff that's going to be in the way of us hearing. And then fill us afresh this morning that we might go and truly be witnesses for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, Scott started, talk, uh, started preaching a series on Philippians. And when he called to ask me to preach, and I was so appreciative that he gave me the opportunity because I retired from the Methodist church, but I'm still preaching. But I wasn't real happy about some things going on in the Methodist church, so I figured I'd go ahead and retire. But he asked me, he told me what he was going to be preaching on, and he said, you know, I think it's going to be too long to me. I said, if the Holy Spirit's moving, they won't care how many time, weeks and months it takes to finish Philippians. Because if we're truly seeking God then we're seeking what God has to tell us. And so he, he said he probably would only get through a couple of verses. And I said, well, I'll pick up and go from there. And so I looked at him and I read, and then God sent me off in a whole totally different direction. Well, it kind of goes with it. So we're going to look at Philippians 1, 3 through 6. Last week, Scott was talking about being in, that Paul was excited about being in partnership with other believers and sharing Christ. Today, God's excited about us sharing him. We're in partnership with him through the Holy Spirit. So in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 3, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I have always prayed with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's still talking about how excited he is to be a part of a fellowship of believers. Y'all, when there's a fellowship of believers, it's an awesome thing. That's why we need the church. We need the church to encourage each other and to help each other in our walk with God, to pray for each other. And then he goes on to say, and this is the thing we're really going to be looking at this morning, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, and that's salvation, that's not the end, that's the beginning. Some people think uh, the ultimate goal is to get saved. No, the ultimate goal is to be saved and grow in the Lord. But you've got to be saved first. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus hadn't come back yet, so he's still working on all of us and continues to do that. So that's in Philippians 1. Well, as I began to, to look at the rest of Philippians and what was going to be being taught, the Lord showed me that it was... Gonna, there was going to be believers growing in Christ. He's going to be teaching on us growing in Christ, living Christ, living him, living him every day, and then humbly walking with the Lord. Those are, that's what Philippians is all about. And then the Lord said to me, it's impossible for them to go any further and learn any more unless they understand 
They can't do it by themselves. They need a helper. And so we're going to talk about him today, the Holy Spirit. And yes, he's a him, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a being. He's the same as God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all three equal. They're all three beings. They're not it's. He is truly a being who comes to live in you. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go back. Because first, we've got to get some people saved in here this morning. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, what are you waiting on? Do you think somebody better is going to come along? Ain't nobody better than Jesus. And you think he's going to make you change your life? You can't change your life. If you could have changed your life, you already would have. How many of y'all are trying... Don't raise your hands, but I will. How many of y'all are trying to lose weight? I can't. I'm trying. But in my flesh, I can't do things. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough to save yourself. That's why Jesus came. There wasn't anybody else who could be perfect but Jesus. And he came to be our sacrifice. And because he was perfect, he went to the cross. And because he was perfect, he could die for our sins, by our salvation, and then impart it to us as we, one, believe he did that. And that if, he did, he did, if we'd been the only person who ever believed, he still would have done it for us for us. And then repent of who we are, a sinner in need of a Savior. Repent of our sins, turn from it, turn to Him, surrender our lives to Him, and then accept the forgiveness that He gives you. And then walk in it. And that's what Philippians is about, is walking in that salvation. He wants you to do that. He needs believers to hear the messages and grow. If you're not a believer... None of Philippians or any other part of the Bible can really make any sense to you because you're only reading it in the flesh. You're only reading it with your head. You can get some head knowledge from the Bible. There's some good stuff in here. I hear it quoted on TV all the time. They'll quote Scripture. They don't know they're quoting Scripture, but they will have heard it somewhere and they're quoting it. You can memorize Scripture. You can know all there is to know about Scripture. But if you don't know Jesus, it's just dead words. And it's going to stay in your head. Think about the things you learn in the head and the things you learn in your heart. When I was growing up, we had to learn the times tables. Those are multiplication tables for you over, not quite as old as I am. But we learned our times tables, and I learned them by heart up to ten. You ask me any times table, I can tell you, because I got it in my heart. Now, the stuff I learned in my head, not so much. Can't remember what I did last week, yesterday, in fact. Because it's in my head. But when something's in your heart, you're not going to forget it. When Jesus comes into your heart, that's where you come. And he's there, and he's wanting to teach you, and he's wanting you to grow. Paul's saying he wants to complete what he started. But there's so many people trying to live in the flesh, so many miserable Christians. I can't tell you how many miserable Christians I met. You probably know some of them. Oh, they got Jesus in your heart, and they're just mean. They're not nice. They talk ugly. They do things they shouldn't do. Why? Are they miserable? Because the Holy Spirit's trying to get out and change them. And they're busy fighting him, trying to be who they want to be. I guarantee you, whoever God makes you be is going to be a whole lot better person than you can make. For sure. Well, anyway, the Word of God is here for us to know and to learn. I believe, and since I'm teaching, I get to tell you what I believe. 
We're not going to get into theology today, okay? I'm not going to argue with you. You can come up here after the service and you can argue all you want to about when the Holy Spirit comes in, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I think when Jesus walked the earth, all of God was in him. All of it. All of God. All of the power of God, all of who God was, everything was in Jesus. You can't understand it, don't try. It's a faith thing. You have to believe without seeing. If you can see something, you don't have to have faith in it. So you have to believe what you can't see. That somehow when Jesus walked the face of the earth, he was God in human form. And now he is spirit who is in us. When you invite Jesus to come in your heart, I believe all of God comes into your heart. There's some people who think there's a second blessing, a second baptism. I don't understand all that. I just know when Jesus came in, the Holy Spirit came in. And he wants to work and complete what was started at our salvation. To complete us to become all that God created us to be and wants us to be. And Jesus even taught on the Holy Spirit. He told about the Holy Spirit and how we would have this helper to help us to be Christians. To help us to be the people we need to be. Over in John 14, we're going to look at John and then we're going to look at Acts. If you happen to have your Bibles, and I think they got this. I use the NIV because it's easy for me to read and because I've been preaching on it for 100 years, is it? So in John 14, Jesus is taught, he's telling them a whole lot of stuff. And in the midst of it, he says in John 14, 11, no, 12, in 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Really? If we have faith in Jesus, we're going to be able to do what he'd been doing. That's what he said. He doesn't lie. In fact, he says, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Wow. He's going to the Father. Why? Jesus was limited in what he could do here. You say, oh, God's not limited. In the flesh, he could only walk so far. He could only talk so loud. He could only meet so many people. He could only heal so many people. But by going away and the Holy Spirit coming... We were going to have help. He was going to empower us to be able to do things that he calls us to do in his name, for his name's sake. Not just because we want to. It's in seeking him and what he wants to do. So in John fourteen fifteen, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, because, see, he'd been their counselor. To be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. See, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. He was still in Jesus. So he says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send the same spirit that's in me in every believer. Couldn't God do a whole lot more if all of us lived Christ? Can you imagine what this world would be like if everybody that claimed the name of Jesus, if everybody was truly a Christian, would really live him and share him? What an awesome world this would be. He says we can. Why aren't we? Why are we still walking around in dead flesh like we're still dead? you got the living God inside of you. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Not for you to do what you want to do, but surrender to Jesus Christ to use you in ways that are so far beyond what you can imagine. 
He goes on over in 14, in John 14, 25, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he has done that already, will teach you all things, and I will remind you of everything I've said to you. He said, I'm going to go away, and the Holy Spirit's going to come in you, and he's going to teach you what I've said. He's going to teach you this word. Do you know that you can't really read the word of God without the Holy Spirit directing you? It's just words. But when the Holy Spirit, when you sit down to pray, and you sit down with the word, and you say, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to let this word speak to me personally. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you have for me today. And every time you read it, you'll get something different from the same scripture according to where you are in your life if you have the Holy Spirit in you and if you allow him to to preach it to you in your privacy of your home or wherever you are. That's what he'll do. And that's an amazing thing. That he wants to do that. So he taught them. And he went on and taught them a whole lot more. And then we get to Acts when it's all fixing to happen. It's fixing to happen. The Holy Spirit's coming. They don't have a clue what this means. And some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Like I don't know what it means either. I do. And you can. In Acts 1, verse... Four and five, verses 4 and 5. On one occasion, while the, he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak of. For John baptized with water, but in a few days... Actually, it was 10. Now, I don't know about you, but if he told me something was going to happen in a few days, after a couple of days, I'd be saying, where are you, God? Why ain't you taking care of this now? I prayed two days ago. You need to be here, and you need to be here now. I'm tired of waiting. I got stuff to do, and you're not doing what I ask you to do. I'm tired of waiting. Well, to God, a thousand years is but a day, and a day is but a thousand years, so he can take all the time he wants to. Time is irrelevant to God. He's got all of eternity. And you do too if you're a Christian. You got it forever. You start living now and go forth. Okay. So he said, wait. And then in verse 8, he says, this is why he wanted them to wait. This was the purpose of their waiting. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes in you. Folks, when God comes in you, when Jesus comes in you, when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, he changes you. You cannot be the same if you give your heart to Jesus Christ. He will turn you every which way but loose. And there are times you might get a whooping. I've had my whoopings. They're not fun. He disciplines us because we need it. We need him to change us. We need him to straighten us out. And he desires to do that because he loves us and he wants us to experience the fullness of who he is. And that can happen. Jerusalem was their hometown. Start in your house first. See, he makes you start with the hardest. You ever heard somebody say you want the bad news or the good news first? Don't you want the bad news first? That way... You get that over with and you got the good news coming. 
So he says, we're going to start at home. Hardest place to witness is at home because they know you. They see you with your church face off. They hear you. And then when God begins to change you, they're the last ones to believe it. But you just keep letting him change. Eventually they'll see it. And Jerusalem was also their hometown, so it would be like all the people in Kathleen, Bonnier, Perry, Juan Robbins, you know, hometown. People you go to school with, people you work with, people you um, go to ball games with, people you go on vacations with, people you get your hair fixed, barbershop, playing golf, fishing, you know, all those people. So that's Jerusalem. And then he said in all Judea, those are the people that are have our same culture, our stale language, sort of like um, Macon or Columbus or Augusta or I guess we could say Atlanta, although sometimes I think that's Samaria. But anyway, he said to those people that are like us that have the same culture, and then to Samaria, that's the people different from us, that would be like those people that speak French in Canada or the ones that, that speak, is it Mexican in Mexico? Hispanic people, speaking people. <laughs> we'll do that. Okay, so he wants us to go there. And then he says, what he wants you to do is limitless to the ends of the world. That's what he desires. And if he changes you, and you begin to seek him, and listen to him, and obey him, and let him work in you, there will be a difference. There was a church in South Georgia where I've preached a few times, but they had a preacher that came who was on fire for the Lord. He started getting them to pray. They began to pray. They just met and prayed and sought the Holy Spirit. And they kept waiting for God to do something in their church, for a move of God to happen, for it not just to be a religious thing, but to truly be a place where God was moving and people were being saved, and people were being changed and growing in Christ. And they began to pray. They prayed for five years before this began to happen. Folks, that church got so on fire that the children were laying hands on people and people were getting healed. The children of the church. They were written up in Charisma Magazine, which is a national Christian magazine. They were written up, this little church in South Georgia. I'd like to tell you they're still on fire. But the preacher left and they stopped praying. And it's back to the same old, same old. But God was working while they were praying. That was part of the waiting. You know what he was doing while they were praying? Besides preparing them, he was also filling up the town. Over in Acts 2, 5, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. He brought people in from everywhere so that they could experience. That's why it's important for us to get people in our churches. That's why it's important not to just say, come to my church. It means go get them and bring them. Because we got three generations of people that have never been inside a church, don't have a clue what goes on, and are scared to death. Scared to death. God gave me a vision, uh, uh, an experience of that. I went over to celebrate recovery on Thursday night over at um, Southside Baptist the other day. Somebody I knew was giving a testimony, and I went to hear her give her testimony. I've been in that church before for a service. 
But it was Thursday night. I was going to a different kind of service with people I didn't know. And I walked to the door, and they were friendly, just as friendly as they could be. But I was by myself going in. And I walked in, and I saw some people I knew, and they were friendly, but I was still by myself. And so I went in, and I sat down, and I saw other people sitting by themselves. And I wanted to go over and sit with them and say, can I sit with you? I'm a preacher. I've been preaching for 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 Almost 30 years. And I was afraid going in that church because I was alone. And I didn't know what they did at Celebrate Recovery on Thursday night. Now, it's an awesome thing. Once I got there and experienced it, it was awesome. But I was scared to go. And I'm a preacher. How do you think unbelievers feel when they've never been to church and God is calling them to a place they need to come? They need somebody to come with them. They need somebody to bring them. They need somebody to not just invite them, but make sure that they're there. Or say, I'll meet you in front, and then meet them. It's so important. Church is scary for a lot of people. Let's take away the fear and help them to come. And here, God was filling that church. He was filling that town. I heard that there was a million people in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was a little town. But God got them in there. Let me see if I, what I can keep going with. Okay. He brought them, and this was the wait, the 10-day wait. This, the Sunday that this happened was Pentecost Sunday. It's what we celebrated last week as the birthday of the church. It was Pentecost. They had Pentecost back then. Before the Holy Spirit came, they had Pentecost. The Holy Spirit just came on Pentecost. But Pentecost was the first day of the week, the 50th day after the Sabbath of Passover week. It was called the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of Harvest, and the Day of First Fruits. It was a religious activity they went to every year. Y'all sang about that a while ago. You said you wanted to lay down your religious activities. They came for religion. And they met the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. I don't want you to raise your hand. How many of you got up this morning, got dressed and thought, oh, I can't wait to get to church. I'm going to hear from Jesus. I'm going to experience the Lord. We're going to sing praises and the Holy Spirit's going to be there. And we're going to experience him. And God's going to speak right to me. I've been praying for the preacher all week long to get ready with a message for me personally. And I'm going to hear from him. And I'm going to be changed. And I'm so excited. I can't wait to get in church. Yeah, right. Okay, so they were praying. They did their religious thing. You got to come expecting God to do something. You got to desire Him to do something. And you got to desire Him to do it in your heart. Because if you don't know Him and you're not growing into Him, you can't help anybody else. And you got to pray for your preacher every single day, not just Sunday morning. Bless Him, Lord. Anoint Him, Lord. He needs to be anointed on Sunday afternoon, or she, whoever happens to be preaching that day. I'm not going to ask you if you prayed for me this morning. Well, we didn't know you were going to be here. Did you pray for Scott? Really? All week? I got one minute. That ain't going to happen. Okay, here we go. 
All right, I'm hurrying fast as I can. So they were waiting. They were praying. And he came. Acts 1, 2, 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were in unity. They were together praying. We got a group of people here praying for this church, seeking the Holy Spirit. So all they're doing is praying. Just praying for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in our church. Praying for the pastors, praying for the music, praying for the children, praying for the youth. Just praying for this church. The outreach, you name it. They were praying together and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It wasn't a blowing wind, but a violent wind was the most powerful thing Luke could think of when he was writing Acts. There was nothing else like what happened in their vocabulary, so he said, it's like the greatest amount of power you can know happened in that place. And he's here with us today. You can't put spiritual things in earthly words. Some of you have had some experiences with God you can't really tell anybody about because you can't put it in words. You know what I'm talking about. He's done something, you know it's him. It's something beyond your understanding. And you'd like to tell somebody, but it's like a blowing wind. And then he goes on and says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them who were praying and seeking God were filled with the Holy Spirit. And these were believers, by the way. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, in this particular instance, it's not talking about the gift of tongues. It's talking about they were able to speak in whatever language a person had that was there. They were able to... The people who were praying were given a language they had never spoken before. They were able to do a supernatural thing beyond their own flesh abilities. They spoke in the other tongues of the people who were there, their languages. Can you imagine how that blew them away? Besides, the people they were speaking to were going to be blown away. They must have been going, I don't know how to do this, and it's just coming. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. When you're praying and seeking Him, He can do things through you that are beyond what you can do in the flesh. And it says, Now there were saying in Jerusalem the God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together. So they were do- this was happening, and the ones outside heard and started coming. They came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not these men who are speaking Galileans then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? And then it goes and lists all the countries that were represented and more. And I'm not going to read them because they're hard words, and so you can read them for yourself. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. See, unbelievers don't get it. But when you got Jesus in your heart and the Holy Spirit works and God begins to change you and begins to work in your heart and life, you're going to get what's happening and how awesome that will be. I don't have time to go anymore, but I'll tell you this. When the Holy Spirit comes in, I believe God will God comes in, and I believe when the Holy Spirit comes in, He comes in with everything. 
He comes to him with his fruit. He comes to him with his gifts. See, I believe we have all the gifts. We don't use all the gifts. But if God had need for us to use a gift, he'd, he'd bring it forth. He'd bring it out of us, like speaking in... I don't think they spoke in those other languages forever, but they did that time. God will give you a gift for a season. And they're gifts, they're tools, not toys. A lot of people will study the gifts of the Spirit in Romans or in, 1 Corinthians, in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. And I've heard people go around and going, Oh, I got this gift, or I got this gift. I got them all. I've only used a few. As God enabled me. But if God needs me to have a gift in a particular situation, he can bring it forth. And it's the same with you who are growing in him. But you got to get mature enough to handle it. When I was in college, my daddy one day, I was living at home. I was going to make a junior college. And daddy came to me and he said, um, Joyce, you been out to your car? And I said, no, sir. I had an old white bloke Volkswagen beat up. I'd crashed it a few times and he beat it out with a hammer and it had rust all over it. And... So he said, have you, been at, have you been at your car? And I said, no, sir. He asked me that th- two more times. And finally I thought, why does he want me to go to my car? So I went out to my car, and he had bought me the most beautiful mahogany gear shift knob you've ever seen. It was gorgeous. The car was a wreck, but the knob was beautiful. What was inside was powerful. And I loved it. And I was so grateful. But see, he, I know telling how long he'd had it, but he had to wait till I grew up got responsible, was able to learn to drive a car, and then was able to drive it before he could give something to me. God has gifts he wants to give us, gifts he wants to use in us, but we've got to grow up to be mature enough and then to protect what he gives us and not be playing with them or trying to play with them. God wants you to grow. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him because then you'll know you. As you come to know more of him, you're going to come to know more of who you are in him. And he desires that. First thing, most important, God wants you saved. He wants you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. He wants you to surrender your sin and accept his forgiveness. And then say, Lord, I want to walk in it. In just a minute, we're going to pray. If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, what are you waiting on? He's just going to make you better. Don't you want to be better? You've tried it on your own. It hadn't worked. Give God a try. And then for those of you who are believers, he'd like this morning, he's calling you to recommit. To say, Lord, I've kind of taking your Holy Spirit lightly. I haven't really understood that you're in me and that you believe in me and you want me to do things for you and with you. If that's your prayer this morning, God desires you to do that. He'll answer. And then I would ask that you would pray for Bonaire. As we pray for Bonaire United Methodist Church to pray for the Holy Spirit to begin to move. He's moving, but to begin to show his power in this place and bring people in to experience the power of God.
And also, please pray for the United Methodist Church. We're in great division right now. You can go online and find out all you need to know. But we're in great division. And we need to pray for our church. The United Methodist Church. Let's pray. Lord, we bow before you in this place. Many words have been spoken and I've presented them as you've given them to me. But what's been heard has been the responsibility of the hearers. And Lord, this morning, if there be somebody who's never given their heart to you, we pray that that's going to happen. We pray that today they'll say, okay, God, I give up. I give myself up to you. I'm going to just by faith believe that you can come in me, forgive my sin, and make something of me. And Lord, for those who are believers, may there be those who this morning say, I want to be more, Lord. I want to know you more, I want to grow in you, and I want to be more for you and with you. And Lord, we do pray for our Bonaire United Methodist Church to be all you want this church to be and for the United Methodist Church to come together in one accord in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.